Thank you, Ryan, for that. Um, so good morning. I'm Carl, as uh, Ryan introduced me. Uh, you'll normally find me sat at the back of the church uh, because that's where I'm comfortable. And uh, so it's with much discomfort and apprehension that I stand at the front this morning. A few months ago, Dan mentioned preaching to me, and uh, I, I thought he was joking. Uh, I think I actually laughed at him. And uh, I thought, why would anyone want me to preach? I think I doubted my ability to stand up here and preach. I doubted that people would be interested. And maybe I even doubted that God could use me. So I said to God, okay, if you want me to preach, then you have to give me something to say. And a few weeks, I think it might have even been a month or so later, I was thinking about it. And I felt God say to me, well, actually... That's what I want you to talk about, doubt. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about doubt. What is it? What is the difference between questioning and doubt? How do we overcome doubt? And I stand before you this morning not as someone who's got it all worked out. I'm not a, someone who's mastered doubt, uh, but I'm an experienced doubter. And so that's why I can stand up here and talk to you about it. So when we think about doubt in the Bible, you may think about doubting Thomas. He's the most famous doubter in the Bible. And so I want to read to you from the, uh, the Gospels of Luke, Mark, and John, and to set the scene, uh, this is in the days and weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, Mary and some of the other ladies have gone up to the tomb, they've found it empty, and they've come back to tell the disciples what they've found. And so there should be some scripture up there. Thanks, Jenny. So we start Luke 24. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and, all to, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Mark 16 Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven. As they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. John 20. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So these passages tell us the doubt experienced by Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And despite them walking with him, seeing him perform many miracles, seeing him heal the sick, drive demons out of people, feed the thousands even raise the dead, despite them seeing all of that, 
they still wouldn't believe that he himself had risen from the dead. Thomas, in particular, has taken a bit of flack as, uh, as the last to believe 2,000 years later, we still label him a doubter. And it's easy for us to judge him because we know the full story. But try and put yourself into the story. Maybe you see one of your friends die or witness it and you help bury them. And then a few days later, someone comes to tell you that they're alive. You'd want to see it first before you believed it. So Jesus seems frustrated uh, with his disciples. Uh, When he meets the two disciples on the roads, he says, why can't you understand? How can you be so slow to believe? And when he sees the other disciples as a group, he says, why do you doubt? When he sees Thomas, he says, stop doubting and believe. But he knows us. He loves us. He knows our human nature, and he knows our weakness. He has compassion and gently says, look at my hands and my feet. See who I am. Touch me and find out for yourselves. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible that we can read about doubt. Actually, the Bible is full of it. In Genesis 17, you can read about how Abraham fell on his face laughing when God told him that he and his wife Sarah were going to have a son. And perhaps with good reason. He was close to 100 and Sarah was 90. In Matthew 11, we can read about John the Baptist. Just before he was executed, he sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? This was the man who as a baby in his mother's womb was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He baptized Jesus and he saw the heavens open and he heard God say, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And yet he still wasn't sure if Jesus was the Messiah. So I think these stories tell us that it's, it's normal to doubt. It's okay to doubt. It's human nature to doubt. In an informal study of his students, a theology lecturer found that 80% of his Christian students were willing to publicly express some form of doubt. So if you have doubts, you're in good company. C.S. Lewis says, Now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. You see, even atheists doubt. But while it's common and it's normal to doubt, doubt shouldn't be taken lightly. Doubt can start to affect your faith. It can grow and it can spread. So we need to identify the types of doubt in our lives, and then we need to deal with them. So let's define doubt and try and understand what it is. There should be some definitions up there which you can read. So it's not a position of unbelief. It's a hesitation between unbelief and, or between belief and unbelief. It sometimes involves not knowing all of the facts, and it can cause you to delay an important decision Um, Maybe because you're worried you're going to make the wrong choice. Or maybe you're worried that someone's going to judge you for your choice. And I'm talking specifically about Christian doubt today. But even within that, you're going to experience different forms or different causes of your doubt. And so before we can understand doubt better, we need to understand what's causing your doubt. And there's this guy called Gary Habanas. He's written a book called Dealing with Doubt. 
and he talks extensively on the subject of Christian doubt, what causes it, what are some of the solutions. And his book is available free on his website. And so I've used some of his classifications of doubt, and I want to talk about three of them. Let's have a drink. <clears throat> so the first type of doubt is factual doubt. Factual doubt stems from a lack of knowledge, maybe an inability to answer questions. Maybe you're a new believer and you haven't really thought through all the, uh, all the bits of Christianity. Maybe you're a mature believer, but you've never really thought through the facts. Maybe you've never really been taught them, or maybe you've never really looked into them or researched them. So maybe you have questions like, was there really a God that existed on earth that was called Jesus? Was he really the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Or maybe your questions are like my wives. Uh, wives, not wives. Uh, <laughs> uh, one evening she asked me, how did the dinosaurs fit into the whole Bible? And I think I mumbled and fumbled for a question before I had to admit, you know, I, I don't know. And uh, so I had to go look for the answer. And, uh, and so are you, because I don't have time to talk about that today. <laughs> the second type of doubt that we might experience is emotional doubt. Now, emotional doubt is mood-related. can be psychological, maybe due to depression. It could be due to life experiences. And it results from the wrong view that we hold of God. So maybe you've experienced a really bad break in relationships. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe as a child you experienced abuse. And you're asking God, how could he let this happen? Emotional doubt can be due to peer pressure. Maybe you work with some really smart people. And none of them believe. And you're thinking, how can these smart people not believe, and I do believe. It creates doubt. Emotional doubt can result from Christian hypocrisy, infighting between Christians, between churches, between denominations. And churches and Christians become obsessed with rules and judgment. Bono, the singer of U2, says, religion is what happens when people replace God with a set of rules. And that creates doubt. Emotional doubt can also be choice or will-related, maybe a certain behavior which you're not willing to change. Maybe you don't want to grow. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you're thinking, well, am I really saved? Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church all the time. I was made to go to church. And uh, when I left home and went to university, I came to a real crossroads. I had to think, is this something I'm doing because my parents do it? Or is it just a habit? Am I just going through the motions? And it took me several years and several struggles to discover the answer. The third form of doubt I want to talk about is unanswered prayer. And actually it comes under emotional doubt, but it's such a big source of doubt that I want to classify it separately. We've all prayed and had prayers that haven't been answered. Or maybe they've been answered in a different way uh, than we thought they should have. And that can raise some real big doubts. We ask, did God hear me? Why wasn't my loved one healed? Is this even for real? 
Um, some of you will know uh, my wife and I, uh, when we first started trying to have kids, really struggled with infertility. And it was a really dark time for us. And we prayed and prayed and just didn't seem like God was answering our prayers. We just couldn't get pregnant. And um, we eventually had several rounds of successful and un- well, unsuccessful successful, uh, um, fertility treatments before we had our first daughter, Hope. And the doctors told us that we would have to go through the same thing uh, when we wanted a second child. And so when we felt ready, um, I have to remember saying to my wife, I believe God can, or he, he could give us another child without going through this. But I think I doubted that he would. And so we made our own plans to go back and have some more fertility treatments. And we knew from experience that the first thing that they would ask is, have you done a pregnancy test? So we thought, let's just scratch that from the list and do that first. And we did the pregnancy test, and it was positive. And if you've done that before, you probably know you go get a second one because you don't believe it. And we did the second one, and it was positive as well. I thought, what is going on here? So we phoned around all these doctors, and we said, we've got to have a scan today. It's got to be today. And we went to this doctor, and uh, they did a scan, and, and there was my second daughter, Fionn. She was eight weeks old, and her little heart was beating away. And tears of joy just streamed down my face. And I finally believed that my wife was pregnant. And isn't that so often the case? We believe that God can, but we doubt that he will. And so often we pray from that standpoint. So those are the three types of doubt we might experience. Factual doubt, emotional doubt, doubt from unanswered prayer. And so hopefully that helps you classify your doubt, and uh, now that we know what it is, we can try and deal with our doubt. The first way of dealing with doubt is pursuing God. When we read from Luke, when the Mary came and told the disciples what they had seen, they didn't believe them. They thought they were talking nonsense. But Peter, he got up and he ran to the tomb, and he went to go and find out for himself. And so it is with us. No one can force you to believe. It's something you have to experience yourself. You have to investigate it yourself. So if it's factual doubt you're struggling with, if you have questions, then you need to find the answers. Maybe that means doing your own research. Maybe it means asking a friend or your community group leader or some of the other leaders in the church. Maybe it means going on a course like the Alpha Course, which lays the foundation of the Christian faith. It's a great course to do. There are two people in our community group who are busy studying for theology degrees, and it's so great to have them as part of our discussions because they have so many answers. They've done all that research. They've done, they've done all that investigation themselves. And I don't think God wants blind obedience. He doesn't want robots. He wants a relationship with you. And we don't first have, we don't have answers unless we first have questions. And questions uh, lead to understanding, and understanding leads to strengthened faith. And what matters is the heart and the intent with which we ask the questions. Are we asking the question because we are seeking understanding, or are we like the Pharisees, looking to justify themselves, or looking to trap Jesus with their questions like, Should we pay tax? You see, doubt can be good 
because it makes us focus on the subjects where we're weak, where we need to study, and it can lead um, to strengthened faith. And leaders, we need to create the correct environment here at City Lights where doubts can be freely expressed and questions can be asked. We don't want to breed doubt at City Lights. And as you find some of the answers to your questions, your faith will be strengthened and you'll be more confident talking to others about your faith. And you'll probably find that they have many of the same questions that you did. And I'll say some of the answers because there's some really tough questions out there. And we might not get answers to all of our questions. We can't always understand the ways of God. Isaiah 55 verse 8 said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Remember, we are created in the image of God to look like him, not necessarily to think like him. And so this is where faith comes in. It bridges the gap. So to overcome factual doubt, we need to pursue God. We need to pursue the truth. We need to seek him out. Remember, one of the definitions of doubt was lack of certainty of an alleged fact. We need to pursue the facts. We need to find out more, and we need to ensure our certainty. The second way that we can overcome doubt is to prioritize. Someone much smarter than me wrote this. It should come up. It says, make sure that if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and religious readings and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief or any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. So what does it look like? What Practically, what do we do? It means reading your Bible, listening to podcasts or worship uh, as you're in the car. It means consistently spending time in the presence of God and getting to know him better. Coming to church joining a community group, getting some of your questions answered, and hearing some of the stories like Ramsey and Eleanor's of how God has done amazing things in people's lives and being encouraged by that. We need to prioritize these things in our life. And I get it, Dubai is busy. Uh, I often have to work at the weekends. I have two kids. I have another one on the way. There always seems to be something else that is on. But we need to prioritize things. We need to decide what is important for you and your family. We mustn't delay a relative, uh, relevant action. Remember one of the, the definitions was delaying a relevant action. We mustn't delay a relevant action because there's something else on or because we're worried about what other people will think or you're worried about making a mistake. We need to prioritize time with God. The third way of overcoming doubt is to build faith or to step out in faith. Up to about four months old, babies don't have the capacity to believe 
that something exists unless they can see it in front of them. So if you take a toy away from them, as far as they are concerned, it no longer exists. But as they grow and they mature, they will understand that if they don't see the toy, they will continue to look for it because they understand that even though they don't see it, it still exists. And so it is with our Christian faith. When we continue to believe in God's love, even when we don't necessarily see it or feel it, when we're going through those hard times, we remember and we recall, just like we believe in the sun at night, we continue to believe in God's love in the times of darkness. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to quote him again, he's a great guy. He says, Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Faith is almost the opposite of doubt. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. And the rest of chapter 11 goes on to tell us the many instances in the Bible where people had faith. Noah building the ark, Abraham and Sarah having a son, despite their age, and Moses going before Pharaoh and demanding that the Israelites are released. He must have been massively out of his comfort zone, a bit like me right now. But all of them stepped out in faith, and God did amazing things through them. Their weakness was turned to strength. And we need to concentrate on building faith, not just fighting doubt. Another smart person said, faith is like health. Health is best maintained by growth, nourishment, and exercise, and not by fighting sickness. Equally, faith grows and flourishes when it is well-nourished and exercised. So the best way to resist doubt is to build up faith rather than simply to fight against doubt. How do we build faith? We talked about pursuing God. We talked about prioritizing God. And those will help us to build faith. But Philippians 4, verse 6, gives us extra guidance. It's quite a well-known verse. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. A different translation ends, and his peace will control the way you think and feel. We need to control the way we think and feel. We need to change the way we think and feel if we're going to overcome emotional doubt. So the three things I put my hand up for there. The first one was pray. See, it's not only the facts that we have to pursue, but also the nature of God. We need to get to know God better, and the way we do that is through prayer and building a relationship with him. If you are part of a community group, you would have recently completed the prayer series, the prayer course. Uh, it's a great course and talks about why we pray, how to pray, and deals with unanswered prayer. And a couple of the an analogies really stuck with me. And the first was of a husband and a wife who don't talk or rarely talk. What sort of relationship are they going to have? And so it is 
with us and God, if we don't talk to God, if we don't spend time in his presence, what sort of relationship are we going to have with God? The second analogy was that of Adam and Eve walking and talking uh, to God in the Garden of Eden. And if that was you walking and talking with God, what would you say to him? Are you just going to present your shopping list of requests? Please help me with this. Please help me with that. I want this. I want that. What are you going to talk to him about? We need to learn how to talk to God. We need to build our relationship with him. One of the other things that the prayer course recommended was keeping a journal, a prayer journal. Write those things down and then look back and see that God does answer prayer. and Be encouraged by that. That will build your faith. The second thing that those verses recommended was to be thankful. I mentioned earlier that my wife and I had gone through all these various IVF treatments, and it was a really dark and tough time in our lives, lots of disappointment and pain. One day I just realized that I had to start being thankful. And so I tried to think of what I could be thankful for amongst all this pain and disappointment. And I found some small things, and I just thanked God for that. And I continued to do that. And I found that as I was thankful... I had more things and bigger things to be thankful for, despite all the things going on around me. You see, God was protecting the way I thought and felt through my thankfulness. The third thing those verses recommend is to concentrate on good things. Concentrate on things which are not going to cause anxiety. What is it we feed our minds with? What is it we're watching? What is it we're reading? I'm often guilty of this if I leave my iPad next to my bed. When I wake up in the morning, I start uh, reading the news or uh, looking at Facebook. How many times are we looking at those things, reading about gossip and and rumors and, and comparing our lives to others on Facebook? We need to concentrate on good things. And that doesn't mean pretending the bad things don't exist. It doesn't mean you can't watch that movie, you can't read that. But it means having the truth, having the good things at the forefront of our minds, and so that we view the bad things through the lens of the good things. So if we try and do these three things, pray, be thankful, concentrate on good things, we can grow our faith and start to change the way that we think and we feel. We can progress to a stage where it's not our emotions dictating to our faith, but our faith controlling our emotions. We can replace the lies with truth, and this is one of the ways that we can overcome emotional doubt. I'm almost finished. I want to tell you that this is not some magical formula. You're not going to walk out of here and go, yay, I'm cured of doubt. It doesn't work that way. Um, It's all a process. It requires discipline, especially during the tough times, during the low times in life. And it's okay to ask for God's help. In fact, he wants you to help, ask for his help. Mark 9 tells of a story of a boy who has possessed by an evil spirit, and his father goes to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. Jesus echoes, if I can. Everything is possible for one who believes. The father replies, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, we have to be honest with God. 
We need to tell him where our doubts lie. And we need to ask for his help. And as we approach the end of the year and think towards the next year, we often reflect on the past and we start to plan for the the future, the year ahead. And we normally make plans to try and better ourselves, to achieve and move new goals, to try and move forward. But if we choose doubt as a way of life, it's like choosing immobility as a means of transportation. You're not going to progress. You're not going to move forward. So we need to identify the doubts that are holding us back. And we need to deal with them. And maybe for you that means pursuing the facts. Maybe it means realigning your priorities. Maybe it means looking for ways to build your faith. I think in reality, it's probably a bit of all three. And it's not just about changing habits and changing our hearts, but also... uh, It's not only about changing habits, but changing our hearts and minds. And for that, we need God's help, and we can ask for God's help. And so let's do that right now. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, thank you for these stories of doubt in the Bible, stories which show us that it's normal to doubt. And Lord, we don't want to be held back by doubt. We want to grow and we want to progress. Help us as we seek answers to some of our questions. Help us to prioritize time with you. Strengthen our faith, Lord, that we might be led by our faith rather than by our emotions. We want to be able to step out in faith and achieve great things for you, Lord. Lord, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.